Well, it's lovely to see you all again this evening, and you're sticking the pace so well. Uh, hard to believe we're a week and a half now into the mission, and just a few nights left. And we really appreciate your prayers and your fellowship and your support. And I thank the Reverend McLaughlin very much again for his kind words of welcome. And also our brother, Mr. Greenfield, we've really appreciated his friendship over the years and his ministry and his encouragement. And it's always lovely to have fellowship with God's servant and to enjoy his ministry in song. I'm going to ask you tonight to turn to a very well-known chapter in God's Word, and it's John's Gospel, chapter number three, the third chapter of John's Gospel. And I want to speak tonight about God's great gospel. And we're going to look this evening at one of the most well-known verses in all of God's holy word, and that's John chapter 3 and verse number 16. We know it so well. I'm sure a lot of you learned it in Sunday school or in children's meetings or a Bible class many years ago, and it's such a familiar text that I fear we often stay away from it. And that's probably my favorite verse of Scripture. And yet, because it's such a familiar verse, it doesn't get preached on all that often. And I was just thinking this afternoon that I actually can't remember ever sitting and listening to a man expound John 3, 16. Sometimes we take it for granted that we know it so well, but it's a treasure trove of truth. It encapsulates the whole message of the Bible in 25 words. And I just learned the other week, I had this old Bible, and each chapter from Genesis to Revelation is numbered 1 right through to 1,189, uh, the last chapter in the Bible. And the 1,000th chapter in God's Word, from Genesis 1 right through, you get to the 1,000th chapter, and that's John chapter 3. So it's a very significant chapter. And we're going to read, please, from verse number 1, just to get the context and the setting for this great text, God's great gospel, John 3, 16. But let's read from the first verse of John 3. <clears throat> there was a certain man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit." Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And God will bless this remarkable and beloved portion of his word as we've read it together this evening. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray and ask God to write his word upon every heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for this meeting tonight and for all the meetings that have gone before. We thank thee, Lord, for the fellowship that we have enjoyed. We thank thee night after night for the singing of these wonderful old hymns and for the ministry and song. And again, we thank thee for that this evening. And Lord, what a blessing to open the precious living word of God, the word of a gentleman. And we thank thee, Lord God, that this book is inspired and we can stake our eternal destiny upon its truth. And we pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will take this wonderful and beloved verse and write it upon every heart. And may, O God, tonight be really understand in an experimental way God's great gospel. So, Father, grant the help of heaven, the infilling of the Spirit of God, the uplifting of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation of the lost and the restoration of of those who have wandered. We ask all these things for thy glory alone in the precious name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think tonight all of us have questions in life. Maybe tonight you wonder, where did I really come from? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? How can I find God? Is there a God? Does God care about me? Can I know God personally? What does God require of me? Where am I going when I die? How can I know peace with God? How can I know sins forgiven? How can I make my life a success? How can I discover the will of God for my life? These are fundamental questions, and they are questions that we desperately need answers to. And sometimes we find ourselves thinking about these great questions in life whenever we are on our own. Often, if we wake up maybe in the middle of the night for some reason or other and we find it very difficult to get back to sleep, the mind begins to run ahead of itself. And sometimes we are filled with questions. And sometimes we get very anxious and maybe very afraid that we don't really have the answers to the questions that we're asking in our hearts and in our minds. I think everybody's the same in this regard. 
Certainly Nicodemus that we read about in John 3 had many, many questions. Nicodemus was well-educated. Nicodemus was well-healed. He was rich. Nicodemus was well-respected. And Nicodemus certainly was very, very religious. But Nicodemus discovered that he hadn't got the answers that he required to the great questions in life. Nicodemus, it seems, had become very dissatisfied with his religious experience. He was coming to learn that the answers to the questions that he had were not found in religion. But he was learning about this Galilean carpenter that was traveling about from city to city around about Galilee and Capernaum. And this man that had nowhere to lay his head, who was by and large becoming despised and rejected by the people that Nicodemus ran about with, was a man that seemed at least to have some of the answers to the great questions that Nicodemus had. And so the Bible says that he came to Jesus by night. I believe he went under the cover of darkness because he was perhaps afraid of what people might think or say if they saw this master in Israel, this teacher, this rabbi going to a carpenter to ask him questions about God. After all, if anybody should have the answers to these great questions, it would be Nicodemus himself. And so he went under the cover of darkness. He went by night. And maybe tonight you're here in the meeting. Or maybe you've tuned in online and you're listening to the live broadcast. And you maybe be a little bit timid and shy to tell people tomorrow where you were last night or what you were listening to on the internet. You were listening to a gospel preacher preaching a simple gospel message from such a well-known text. And maybe like Nicodemus, you're timid and you're a little bit afraid. And as Nicodemus begins to ask the Lord some of these questions and says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And it's as if Nicodemus is asking the Lord, who are you? And where did you come from? And can you show me the way to God? I don't have the answers. The Lord said in verse number three, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus again has questions. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and been born? And again the Lord says in verse 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Nicodemus had never been converted. Nicodemus did not, at that moment in his life, have the life of God in him. He had never been born again. He had never been made spiritually alive. He'd never been brought into the family and kingdom of God. And still he doesn't have the answers and the questions go on. Verse number 9, how can these things be? And so the Lord begins to explain certain lessons from Jewish history about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness and Nicodemus doesn't even understand the implications of that Old Testament story. And so we get to verse number 16. And in clear, plain, unambiguous language, the Son of God, in a way that only He could have done, summarizes God's great gospel. 
God's great plan of redemption, the plan of the ages, the whole message of the Bible. And he summarizes the message of the Bible in 25 words. Little children's chorus says 25 words in John 3, 16. No greater scripture has ever been seen. 12 about God, 12 about me. Listen to this. The Son in the center of John 16 and verse 3. The Son of God is the central message of the gospel, the central message of the Bible. Miss Jesus Christ and you'll miss out on heaven. The gospel in John 3.16, the gospel in a nutshell. A verse that God has used to lead multitudes, thousands of souls to the cross and brought them to newness of life. And still tonight it is the anvil that has worn out many hammers. The truths of this text are unfathomable and inexhaustible. And I'm sure tonight everybody in the meeting and probably everybody that's listening in online is familiar with this great text of Scripture. But you might be very familiar with the truth of it, but you're not familiar with the reality of it in your life. And you might be about 18 inches tonight from the kingdom of God. If the truth that was in your head tonight was in your heart, you would be soundly converted. And I just want tonight to bring this well-known verse of Scripture to you. And I want you to notice five very simple things about this great text that unfolds for us God's great gospel. Notice, first of all, the opening words of the verse. And here we have a truth for us to ponder. A truth for us to ponder. Look at what it says you know it well, but look at it in your Bible again. For God so loved the world. What a remarkable truth. And it bears our consideration. It's important for us tonight to ponder this great truth. For God not only loved the world, but God so loved the world. Now everybody in this world of ours wants to be loved. We all want someone to love us. And sadly, many people go throughout life's journey and they never really understand what real love is. There are children tonight and they have never known the love of a father or mother. There are husbands and wives tonight and they have never known what it is to really be loved. People in our world tonight are crying out for love. But the love that the world offers us is often false. Sometimes it's fleeting. Sometimes it's very, very fickle. Often it is flawed. Sometimes it is only fleshly. But even at the very best, the love that we can experience on a human level is finite. It is limited. It comes to an end. But the love of God is different. The love of God is limitless. The love of God is like himself. It's without beginning and it's without end. God says to his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. What a beautiful truth. God so loved the world. The Bible says God is many things. The word of God declares that God is just. It says that God is almighty. It says that God is thrice holy. 
It says that God is everywhere present. It says that God is angry with the wicked every day. It reminds us that God is righteous. God is many, many things. But the hymn writer could declare wonderful things in the Bible I see. But this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. If you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you read about God's holiness and you read about God's justice and His righteousness and His power and the fact that He's all-knowing and everywhere present and He's a God of truth and you read all of those great things and you could never come to the understanding that God loved you, you would be miserable. The love of God is the most wonderful truth whenever we clearly and really understand it. God is holy. But God so loved this world that is so unholy. This world of ours, this generation that we're living in, that is so unlike God. And yet God finds it in His heart to choose to love this world that is so ill-deserving and so undeserving of God's love. We are by nature so sinful so unholy and so rebellious against God. We have willfully, consciously, decisively, and continually sinned against Him. But nevertheless, God says, Jesus Christ says, for God so loved the world. It's a beautiful statement, isn't it? A truth for us to ponder. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 18, it speaks about the love of God and it speaks about the breadth of God's love and it speaks about the length of God's love and it speaks about the depth of God's love and it speaks about the height of God's love all demonstrated upon the cross. In that verse in Ephesians 3.18 we have the geometry of God's love and we've also got the dimensions of the cross, the breadth of God's love it's so wide you can't get round it. God loves all sorts of people. Doesn't matter what your creed is. Doesn't matter what class you are. Doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what your present circumstances are. There's a wideness in God's mercy. The Bible says that so wide is God's love that He is able to take our sins and remove them as far as the east is from the west, and they will never meet. And that shows us the breadth of God's love. And then there's also the length of God's love. It's duration and the distance that God's love goes to. And I trust that in the mission, if you've been here other nights, you've learned something of the great length of God's love, the people that He reached and the length that He went to to reach people. Such is the length of God's love that there was never a time in eternity past or a time in eternity future when He does not love those for whom He sent the Son to die for. God's love is an everlasting love. A love that brought the Savior from glory down to a cross. And then there's the depth of God's love. The depth that it stoops to. Somebody once said, He stooped so low to lift so little he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And then there's the great height of God's love, the heights that it brings us to. The child of God can say, He has made me to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And it doesn't matter tonight how low you are or how deep in sin you are, the love of God can reach you. 
and the love of God can lift you. And one day the love of God can bring you into glory. Willie Mullen, I'm sure many of you have sat under his ministry or listened to him at least in cassette tape. And one of the other nights around a cup of tea, we were talking about Pastor Willie Mullen. And he had a remarkable testimony. He was born in Newton Ards. His mother was a Christian woman, but she was a widow. And I think it about nine siblings or ten siblings, and he was the youngest. And he says whenever they went to bed at nights and they all crowded in that bed, he says it was all feet and faces either side of the bed. And his mother would come along and she would pray for all of the children by name and she would get at last to Willie and she'd say, now Lord, save Willie and make him a man of God someday. One day Willie Mullen heard about a horse and there was good odds in this horse and he told a man about this horse that might win if he put some money on it and the man cast a bet, the horse came in and to celebrate he bought Willie Mullen into a pub and bought him his first drink as a teenager and he came out and he says, I tasted alcohol for the first time that day. I got drunk for the first time that day. And I set out on the road to ruin that day as well. And he fell into a rough crowd. And soon he was living under hedgerows and derelict houses. And one day going to plan a robbery, walking into Newton Ards, down the hill, into the, the town, he, he come under a sense of conviction of sin. See, a number of weeks before that, old Pastor Tucker from the Temple Moor Hall in Belfast had preached in the Baptist church in Newton Ards for six weeks, night after night, poured out his heart and didn't see one single convert. But one night, Willie Mullen had attended those meetings. And the night that he was in, Dr. Tucker preached about the great day of his wrath. Revelation chapter 6. And there's this young man going to plan a robbery in Newton Ards, and all of a sudden, he begins to think about this great day of God's wrath. And he knows that he's lost. And he says he stepped off the road, and he walked into a field, and he took his cap off, and he knew that God was convicting him and speaking to him, and he was under such a weight of sin. And all of a sudden, a little phrase that his mother taught him whenever he was a little boy came back to him. Will he never forget? that God loves you. And all of a sudden, the fear lifted. And he just prayed and said, now, Lord, if you'll take me as I am, I'm coming to you. And he took off his cap and he screwed it into a rope. And just there in that field, he gave his life to God. The love of God conquered his fears. The love of God drew him to the cross. The love of God brought him to Christ. Have you ever thought tonight about the love of God? I'm sure you've heard it before, that God loves you. But have you ever really considered it? Have you ever pondered it in your heart? Has it ever transformed your life, this wonderful truth? I see not only here a, a truth for us to ponder, but a sacrifice for us to comprehend. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God declares his love. God displays his love. But God demonstrates his love in sending His Son to die upon the cross for our sins. The Bible says God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, the Lord says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. And the sinless, spotless Lamb of God came into a world, and we thought about it last night, went to a cross, and on that cross died in the place and the stead and the room of sinners as a sacrifice for our sins. 
None of us can earn or merit favor before God. None of us can pay the ransom for our sins. But the Son of God went to a cross. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the ruling spheres, died upon a cross because God so loved the world. I love the words of that old song, Could we with ink the ocean fill? Or were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. Not all the golden streets in heaven, not even the jasper walls or the pearly gates or all of the angelic beings could atone for our sins. It took the very Son of God to become a man and die as the God-man upon a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. You know, there's an old story that's told, and sometimes it's been questioned, but I'm persuaded that it's true. A man called John Griffith, who grew up in the state of Oklahoma, and back there in in 1929, he lost everything in the stock market during the great collapse of the stock market. Took his little boy and his wife to Mississippi, and he got a job as an operator of a railroad trestle. And in 1937, there was an awful accident one day. This little boy was growing up and he was only eight years of age. And his name was Greg. And Greg said to his dad, I want to go to work with you someday and see what you do because I've heard about this great trestle, this great bridge that you open and close. And so the little boy packed his lunch. Him and his dad went off and he took his fishing rod with him so he could spend some time fishing whenever his dad was working. And took him down and showed him the great bridge that he had the responsibility of opening to let the ships pass through and then closing again over the Mississippi River to let the trains pass over. And then he saw a ship coming and the bridge was down. And he ran up into the control room and he opened the the, the bridge and the ship was passing through. And just after the ship was passing through, the the father, Mr. Griffith, heard the the rolling of steel upon steel, and it was was the Memphis Express train that was carrying 400 passengers. And the bridge was up, and he knew he needed to close the bridge. And just as he was about to push the lever, he saw his little boy sitting on top of the gearing mechanisms. He had put his fishing rod to one side, and he was underneath the bridge now, and the, the train was coming, and the father yelled and screamed and shouted for the little boy to move, but he was so far from him that the boy couldn't hear him because the ship had just passed through, and the, the train was coming, and so he has to make the decision of a lifetime. Do I sacrifice my boy, or do I spare his life and allow everybody in the train to lose theirs? And he turned his face away and he pushed that lever. And in so doing, he knew that the body of his little son had been crushed and broken and destroyed. And he watched the train rolling past and he he testified that some people were sitting in the train and they were sleeping. Others were in conversation. Some were sipping coffee. Some were reading. Some were chatting. And some even looked up the little control room and waved at him as they went past. But none of them were aware of the great cost incurred in saving their lives. And we're living in a world, friends, tonight that is ignorant of the gospel and ignorant of the love of our God in sending His Son 
who was crushed and broken under the weight of our sin and the judgment of God upon it. And it seems to be nothing to so many that pass by. And maybe you're in this meeting tonight and you've heard the gospel times without number. And you're not moved at all. Like the men last night that we learned about, sitting down at the foot of the cross, they watched him there, but it doesn't cause you an anxious thought. There's a truth for us to ponder. There's a sacrifice for us to comprehend. There's also a peril for us to avoid. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Why would God give his Son to die upon a cross? if there was no such thing as being in danger. The Bible says, because there is wrath, beware. Lest he take thee away with a stroke, and a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Because there is wrath. There is such a thing as the love of God, but there is also such a thing as the righteous indignation of God, the anger of God, the wrath of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God against our sins. It says in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. And whenever God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, if you eat of that tree which I have commanded you not to eat, you will surely die. And that death was threefold. They died immediately in a spiritual sense. They would die ultimately in a physical sense. But they would die eternally in a spiritual sense as well. The Bible says that death and hell one day will be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the death that never ultimately dies. And it speaks here in this great text that reminds us of the love of God, of the sacrifice of the cross. It also reminds us of a peril for us to avoid. God must and God will punish sin. The Presbyterian minister that I was uh, born under, under his ministry in Lisbon, was a faithful preacher, especially whenever it came to the matters of sin and the justice of God. And he had ministered away in County Tyrone. The Reverend John Morrow knew him personally. We had a hard time there. And the story was told that one Sunday he preached on the subject of hell. And he was standing at the door of the church a member of his church, an aged woman, walked straight over to him and slapped him across the face because he dared to stand in a pulpit and tell the people that there's such a place called hell. In evangelical circles, nobody wants to hear about judgment. We didn't take any pleasure in hearing about it, but friends, it's critical that we understand that if you live and die without Christ, or as it says in John 8, Die in your sins. You'll never be in heaven. You'll never be near Christ. You'll be separated from him forever. Harry Ironside was a tremendous Bible expositor and evangelist. He preached in the Moody Church in Chicago for many years. I recently read his biography, and it was a thrilling read. And Dr. Ironside was once invited to speak in a large, respectable church in the Midwest. The preacher was absent that day, and so Dr. Ironside was brought along, and a large assembly had gathered to listen to him preach. And before the service commenced, one of the deacons in the church was explaining the order of service and just when Mr. Ironside would be brought up to preach the Word of God. And he knew that Mr. Ironside was 
evangelical and fundamentalist in his preaching. And he says, now, Mr. Ironside, this is a very respectable church. These are very good people. They're not like the down and outs or the people that run wild. These are good, respectable, God-fearing people, and he wouldn't like them to be offended. Mr. Ironside says, well, I, I wouldn't go out of my way to offend anybody. He says, as a matter of fact, I'm preaching today about the love of God. And the deacons seemed to be content with that. So the service commenced and Mr. Ironside was brought up to preach and he opened his Bible and he looked across the great audience, maybe a thousand people there. And he looked out and at last he saw the little deacon. He wanted to make sure that he could eyeball him when he announced his text. He announced his subject, the love of God. He announced his text, John 3, 16. The deacon was smiling from ear to ear. And then he read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, and then he just stopped. And he looked down at the deacon and said, Sir, what shall I say to the people now? What shall I say to the people now? Because the text goes on to say, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself, should not perish. And that speaks about dying in your sins and being cut off from God. Can I exhort you tonight, if you're not a Christian, Avoid hell at all costs. And anything that will take you there, repent of it and get rid of it and side with Jesus Christ. Eternity is too late to be wrong about the gospel. Eternity is too long to be wrong about Jesus Christ. Come to Christ tonight and escape this awful peril. A truth for us to ponder for God so loved the world a sacrifice for us to comprehend that he gave his only begotten son, a peril for us to avoid, should not perish, but notice a paradise for us to enjoy, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, this world of ours is difficult, isn't it? It's a hard old world to live in. My Bible tells me that man that is born of woman is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. We're either in trouble coming from trouble, or by and by we're going to it. This world is fallen, this world is broken, and the, the curse affects every aspect of society. But in John 14, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, just on the night before he was about to go to the cross, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And if you go to the book of Revelation, you read chapter 20 and 21 and 22, you'll read about heaven in great detail. No sorrow, no night, no sea, no separation, no pain, no sickness, no more tears, no more curse, no more defilement. A perfect place. Somebody once said, shall we know one another in heaven? Absolutely. I'm convinced we will. Because whenever David's little boy tragically and sadly died in infancy, the great King David, he turned around to his court and says, he shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. Whenever Peter, James, and John were in the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Moses and they saw Elijah, they recognized them immediately glorified saints and they'd never met them before and they knew them, in, they knew them instinctively. 
An old married couple had been married for 60 years or more. They were both believers. And they were looking into each other's eyes. And she said to him, she says, Honey, do you think whenever we get to heaven we'll recognize one another? And he says, Well, do we recognize each other down here? And she says, Of course we do. He says, Do you think we're going to be bigger Egypts up there than we are down here? If we recognize each other down here, of course we will recognize one another in heaven. But we'll be perfect then. And the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. But you remember Thomas, whenever the Lord spoke about heaven, he says, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? What an important question. Thomas wanted to be sure. He wanted to be certain. Just over a year ago, I was asked to visit a, the home of a, a nurse who was about the same age as myself in Belfast. And I tell you, she had lived a godless life. That she'd been brought up in a home where there maybe wasn't much gospel, but there was something of a fear of God and a respect for the things of God. And this young nurse was dying of cancer, and she knew that she was dying, and I was asked to go and see her. And I opened up the Bible at John 14 and just explained the gospel. This question, how can I know the way? How can I be sure? She had no assurance at all that she was going to heaven. And I just shared the gospel and pointed her to the words of the Savior in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And I said to her, Jesus Christ says here, I am the way. That's how you can be saved. He says, I am the truth. That's how you can know that you're saved. And he also said, I am the life. That's how you can enjoy God's salvation. Praise God, that young woman called upon the Lord that day. Called with her a number of times after it. And whenever it came the time for a funeral, the Reverend Jim Ray, an old Methodist minister, a faithful gospel preacher, was conducting the funeral. She picked her own hymns and the gospel was preached and the Lord's name was honored. And it was just lovely to know that she trusted the Lord. Will you do that tonight? Do you know you're going to heaven? Do you got your passport packed if you like? Will we meet you there in glory? One last thing and we're finished. We have thought about the truth for us to ponder, sacrifice for us to comprehend, a peril for us to avoid, a paradise for us to enjoy. There's one last thing in closing. There's an invitation for us to accept that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever believeth in him, God has made it simple. It's for the whosoever. The invitation is broad. The invitation is liberal. And the invitation is so simple. Faith, trust, belief. A heart belief, a heart faith, a heart trust. Trusting Christ. Casting yourself completely and unreservedly upon Him. Giving Him your life. Trusting Him to save you. To cleanse you, to forgive you. To be your Savior, your Lord, and your Master. God has made it simple. And God has also made it certain that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, tonight it's the word of Christ. It's the word of an absolute gentleman. He's made his salvation accessible. It's for the whosoever. And whosoever includes you. Whosoever includes me. I don't think tonight I've said anything new or anything that you've maybe not heard before. But is it real in your heart tonight? Have you responded to God's great gospel? 
you say, well, I'm just not sure. How do I come? How do I respond? The story is told, it's told often about Sammy Spence. He was a member of what was known as the Cool Men's Mission in Belfast. Sammy Spence and Pop Stewart and others with them went around the country preaching the gospel. Whenever Sammy Spence was a young man, he worked down there in the shipyard in Belfast. He had no shoes in his feet. He wasn't all that well tidied up and he just sort of run about the streets and he was rough and he came from a poor family. But there he was selling the telegraph one night and a very well-dressed gentleman from England came down to the shipyard one night and was being showed around and he was wearing a top hat and wearing a three-piece suit with a tailed coat and he had a cane in his hand and he was ever so well-dressed and shiny shoes and he came over to Sammy Spence and says, do you come here every night, son? He says, yes, I do every night, Monday to Saturday, and I sell this paper. I just stand here and people buy this paper. And the man says, well, I'm an artist. And I've been commissioned by a gallery across the water in the mainland to depict on a great canvas the shipyard. And I'm going to start my painting tomorrow night. And I'm going to sketch it out. And I would love you to stand where you stand, just as you are and just doing what you do. And I'm going to paint you into my picture. Sammy Spence couldn't believe it. He ran home as fast as his little feet could take him like the boy that had won the golden ticket and burst in through the door and told his mother that he had got this opportunity. He's going to be put onto canvas and he's going to be hanging up in an art gallery someplace across the water. And his mother looked at him and says, well, you can't go back like that, son. She got a big tin bath out and she put it in front of the fire and she cut his hair and cut his nails and scrubbed him from head to foot and tried to make him presentable got the eldest brother's suit of clothes out of the, the wardrobe and put a few safety pins in around the waist of the trousers and rolled up the trouser legs and did the same with the suit and nipped it in and tucked it here and there and big shoes that were a couple of sizes too big. And the next morning, Sammy Spence headed off to the shipyard as proud as punch. Thought this man's going to be so proud whenever he sees the effort that I've made. And he went down there in this silly looking suit that was all too big and the neck a couple of inches too big. And he stood there with his, his newspapers. And then the artist came along and he wasn't wearing his usual attire. And he set up his easel and he put down his little stool and he got out his brushes and his paints and his palette. And he was just about starting and he put up the canvas and Sammy Spence ran over. A big Cheshire cat smile on his face and said, sir, where do you want me to stand? And he says, who are you? He says, I'm Sammy. You spoke to me last night. You want to paint me? Where do you want me to stand? And the old painter just shook his head and said, son, you've got it all wrong. I didn't want you to go away and try to clean yourself up or fix yourself up. Do you not remember I said, I want you to come just and do what you do, just the way you are and stand just where you stand. I didn't want you to try to be somebody else. I want you to come just the way you are. Now that was a blow to his pride. But it was also a spiritual lesson because years later, whenever he became a Christian, he realized that's how the Lord invites us to come. Just the way you are. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you just the way you are. He'll not leave you just the way you are if he saves you. But he wants you to come just as you are, without one plea, but that his blood was shed for thee and that he bids you come to him, you come just the way you are. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Will you make this your night and come and get the matter settled? It's your time. Don't reject the Savior 
come to him tonight. God bless you.